You are listening to episode 221 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Brian. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we fight to see who's king of the pirates in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we play a little bit of One Piece Burning Blood on the PlayStation 4. And we actually talked about it last week. I said it was one of my pickups and we figured we might play it if it came in in time. And, and it did. I wrote this title when I thought we would fight each other in the game. Yeah, so um, we'll talk a little bit about it. But we only got to play some of the Paramount arc or Paramount War arc uh, versus doing versus mode. And uh, we'll get into that. So we'll talk about that in our inflation deflation segment. But first, you can find us on the GameInflators.com or out-of-date website. You can find us on YouTube. So search the Game Inflators on YouTube. Uh, you can find us on the podcast app you are listening to right now, as well as other podcast applications out there. Leave us a five-star review. And, of course, on social media, at the Game Inflators on Instagram and Facebook, at Game Inflators on Twitter, because they don't like the... Duh. All right. Pickups. Uh, I can dive in first on this one. I'm pretty excited about the pickups that I had. So Baroque came in and I Baroque, Baroque, Baroque works, right? So I was if pretty it ain't Baroque. Don't fix it. I think <laughs> I made that joke last week. Yeah, you did. You it's did. a good joke. Yeah. It was like my kid's going to one day grow up and be like, ah, oh, I got it. That's like right, this is a right. joke. So that game, I was a little hesitant. So I was looking around for copies on eBay because uh, I didn't have it. I was like, well, it'd be nice if I did have a copy. And, you know, I found multiple copies that were like $25, $27 plus shipping, you know, $32, bucks, et cetera, on, on Wii. And I figured, all right, well, there's this one seller. And they had it listed. And it was just like literally a picture, uh, like a, a grainy picture of a case, like the case art that you would see on like GameStop's website mm -hmm. type of deal. And I was like, oh man, I'm like, let me look at the description. I said, why not? Let me, let me see what's going on. And it said good condition. And I'm like, all right, well, let me read the full blown description. It says uh, great condition uh, game. And that's it. So I was like, that's interesting. So I reached out and I said, Hey, just a quick question. Does this come with the, uh, the case and the artwork? And I said, not sure what you mean, but yes, it has the linear notes and the, the artwork on the outside. And it was like 19 bucks with $3 shipping. So we're talking like after tax, it's still like a $10 difference. I'm like, eh, let me take the risk, right? Like if, if it comes in, it's super scratched up and it's not good condition, I'll just return it, not as described. Like that's all I'll do. And it came in and it was minty. Like you saw it. That's yeah, a, it looks that really a good. minty game. It looks like it just came out of shrink wrap. So yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Um, and another interesting eBay thing that I think you'll you'll enjoy the story on this one uh, from this week. So I'd picked up a copy of Blue Stinger on the uh, Dreamcast because my copy had issues. And I was like, all right, well, let me get another one. So I get this copy. It comes in and it doesn't work. Like it's not, it goes like an hour in or so it freezes. And I'm like, okay, this is BS. And it's on a new Dreamcast I was using. So I contact the seller. I'm like, hey. Uh, it doesn't work after like an hour. I want to go and return. And he's like, oh, we have a strict no refund policy. I said, okay, it's a defective item. eBay has a hundred percent money back guarantee. I want to return this copy of a game because it doesn't work. And he's like, well, I don't, I'm sorry. It doesn't work for you, but it's, it tested and worked for me. No problem. And I said, okay, I get that it tested and worked for you, but it's not working for me. So I would like to return this game. And he was very adamant. So I was like, screw this. So I went ahead and put in a refund through eBay. And figured I'll let it go through the process. So he like doesn't respond for several days. And he emails me back and says, we don't have a refund policy. So I'm not giving you a refund. So, well, I'm just going to let it go through then. And he goes ahead and sends me like a partial refund of 10 bucks. I'm like, that's not going to do it for me. So I'm like, dude, I declined it. And he just sends me back this nasty note and says like, you've been so nasty to me as an eBay or and like as a buyer. And, um, you know, fine. I'm just going to give you the full refund you're scamming me everything. I'm like, how I, I'm like, I, I told you I want to return him. I'm trying to give it back to you. I don't know what was in this guy's mind, but he like thought I was scamming him. Give me a full blown refund is like, well, you can keep the game. And I'm like, well, the game's going in the trash. I'm like, since you don't want it. I'm like, it doesn't work. So 
you know, and I said, besides, like, you sold me this game. And the game is completely scratched up. He called it like new condition. And when I got the game, I mean, it is like scratched to shit. Like it's gone. And so I was like, dude, the item's not as described. It doesn't work. So all I want is a return. And so I'm like, okay, screw it. So I recanted everything and put a negative feedback for the guy. And uh, he sends me this another like nasty note and, and everything. It says, oh, I can't believe you left me negative feedback after I gave you a refund, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you've been like, I've been nothing but cordial to you. And like, this has been a really bad experience. And somebody else had a very similar experience. So he's like, well, I would like you to revise your feedback. So he called me petty in the same message. Like you're being petty. So I'm like, okay. So he asked me to revise feedback. So I went into the revise feedback and I revised the feedback to put edit. He also called me petty and that was it. And I left it negative. <laughs> That must have sent this guy up a wall, dude. It was hilarious. But long story short, like I ended up with a broken copy of Blue Stinger as well for pickup, which nice. kind of sucked. Um, okay. Now you have two. Now I have two that don't work. Uh, all right. N64 games. I think I mentioned it on last week's episode, but uh, I was also looking to pick up some N64 games that somebody had listed, and he had them all listed as broken. So I said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and give this a shot and and see if I can get them to work. And so, of course... This, this guy was like super nice, but like it was like red flags as I was talking to him. He's like, oh, they were in my storage unit for like however long. And like, I just pulled them out and I don't have Some an N60. labels have seen much better days. Yeah. Those labels look like they've been sitting out and like outside basically. So, and there's all the pins are rusted or like if you're following us on, um, on Instagram or, or Facebook, I, I've recently posted some pictures of like a Game Boy game I got from that same collection. It looks horrible. And I've got uh, some before and afters that I've taken of some of the carts uh, with like the rust and how I've cleaned it up. So I think I've posted a few. But basically, this guy was like red flags all over. Oh, well, you know, I don't have an N64, so I can't test it. They were in my storage unit. He's like, and some guy tried to buy it for like 90, but I didn't want to ship it off and everything, which led me to believe like if you don't want to ship something off, and the guy was willing to pay you $90, which would have made you more money if you would have sent it off. It's because you felt that there was a money-back guarantee issue that could occur by shipping it off. And so because of that, you didn't do it, which means you're trying to sell me broken games. So I'm like, Well, weren't I, they listed as broken? They were listed as broken, yeah. So I went ahead and said, okay, they're listed as broken, but they are like clearly like bad shape. And uh, so I cracked these things open, man, like, you could just hear the rust coming off of some of these areas. Like when you take off the little black strip that's on the inside of an N64 game, it's like scraping the pins with how much rust there was. The boards are pristine. The pins themselves are hot garbage. So I went in and I hit it with some CRC electrical cleaner to kind of lift up the rust and the oxidation that occurred. Filed them down a little bit, which I know people hate filing down pins, but I mean, you kind of have to in this instance. Clean them all up. Hit them with stovetop cleaner, which is another thing people don't like to do, but I mean, the pins were rough. So I got all that done, 91% alcohol, rubbed all the pins down, eraser. I tried the eraser trick, which I've never done before. And I went ahead and just like rubbed the back of an eraser on all the pins to buff them out. So far, four out of four are working and what yes. I've tried out. So, I mean, a lot of elbow grease. A lot of elbow grease. Uh, 60 bucks is what I paid for these. The four games that I've tested so far are worth about 180. And I mean, that's only a few of them. I haven't gotten into like, yeah, there's a big old bag here still. Yeah. The downside is that all of these labels are jacked. It looks like I was looking at the banjo one and it looks like somebody had like a coloring book and just went wild Uh and didn't like bother to keep in the lines or anything. It's just kind of all over the place. Yeah. It's nuts. And like GoldenEye is just as bad and it has like that blue tinge to it that looks like it's kind of like it was back to back with that Tony Hawk cart for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So, so um, what I've noticed is like, if you have copper, for example, like copper pipes and it begins to oxidize or, or like you have buildup on the outside of a copper pipe, you have this blue, right? That kind of offsets off the copper. And like if you had a penny and a penny sat out in like, I don't know, water and other things for however long, the copper begins to turn like this bluish color, right? So most of the labels have like this bluish tinge on them. Like they were with a bunch of pennies. I, I have no idea. Or maybe just a copper from where they were stored. Might just be the glue, the, li- the adhesive. Uh, maybe. I have no idea, but they're all jacked up. So really what I've got to do now is, um, in fact, right next to you, um, there's adhesive paper that I bought, printer paper. And so I'm going to make my own labels, cut them out, and slap them on there for ones that are, like, really bad. And then some of them that are like, eh, okay, but, like, not the best. I'm going to go ahead and um, list these on eBay, some of the ones that are extras. Um, 
And I'll put like a brand new reproduction label if and say, hey, look, you're buying the original, everything here, but I've included a new label should you decide you want to include a new label on it. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think we talked about that. That makes sense to just put it in as an extra yeah. here if you want this to look nice. Mm-hmm. If you want it to look the way I found it, <laughs> yeah, and choice I, is yours. And I would, yeah, that's right. That was your idea. You had mentioned to do that, so um, definitely a great idea. And we'll we'll see if it works out. Um, so I picked those up, and then I picked up Don't Knock Twice, which is a horror game on the uh, PS4. Uh, I grabbed that. Uh, as far as currently playing is concerned, uh, did not play Cardia this week, but I did play some Beat Saber with my wife, played a few songs on there. Uh, we had a rock track pack that we had bought a while back that has like Smells Like Teen Spirit and Freebird and other stuff on there. Freebird on Beat Saber is just stupid, by the way. Um, and yeah, oh, and I got that little um, Ahoy Stranger Things toy the other day, which uh, that is listed actually. So I found that in a baggie of like random ass toys of Goodwill for like $3 and that's worth like 48. Dang. Yeah. So that, that was my other random find this week. Was it just like a loot crate thing or something? Yeah. So loot crate had like, or no, not loot crate, uh, pop pop has like secret figures. Oh yeah. And these yeah. little mini figures. And that's one of the, like, I guess really rare ones to come across. So yeah. Oh, and uh 007 golden eye on the Wii. I picked that up and there was one other, I was with my sister when we picked it up. I don't remember, but for sure, 007 Goldeneye. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. A whole bunch of stuff this week. Well, I picked up nothing. <laughs> Short list. Uh, I've been playing uh, Brave Fencer Musashi, though. So I haven't gone back and played any banjo, but I've been playing Musashi and getting a little bit further into it. And I'm really enjoying it. There's a lot in that game that. I never got to experience because when I was a dumb kid playing it, I could only make it so far before I just, I, I don't know, I didn't know what to do or, or whatever. And it's not even a game I rented. Like, I owned this game. And I just had no idea what I was doing, I guess. So, uh, figuring it out this time, I have had to use a guide a couple of times to kind of figure out exactly where to go. And there's a lot of going to the same place over and over again, like... There's like this Twin Peak Mountain that's just by the village. I've been there for like three of the first things I have to do or just go back there for another plot point. So I don't know how big the map really is or where else I'm going to go, but I'll figure it out as I go. Very nice. Dude, that is one that I definitely need to play, uh, and I obviously have not. So hopefully like at some point I, I do want to play that like, that's just one of those titles that stuck out to me. And it's one of the random titles I picked up at a thrift store years and years ago for like three or four bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is badass. Like I got my hands on this great title and it's God, it's literally sat in my collection for, well, like most games, right? It's been in there for 10 plus years and never been touched. Yeah. So it's a cool like action. Um, I've heard it equated as like kind of like a more modern, like, um, secret mana or something because it's like live combat and it's got i don't know different like magic and spells and enemy abilities that you can get to use um it has like a leveling system and stats but it doesn't i don't know it doesn't seem like it's having a lot of impact and it's kind of random like the Enemies are not anything to like write home about. There's nothing really interesting about the combat except for that each enemy, when you use one of your powers to absorb them, you get like kind of like a copy ability of theirs. So that adds like a little bit of different mechanics like here and there. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it so far. But last night I was playing a part where if I did not have save states, I do not know how you are supposed to have dealt with the 3D platforming elements in this game because it is not built well enough to handle that with any type of sanity. Like the amount of times that I had to save state and load state to jump across platforms last night, I would have lost my mind if I did not have that ability. I would have not played this game anymore because of how bad that 3D platforming was. Like the amount of time you would have had to take into run back up to try to make that jump and fail again would have just been mind numbing. 
it's kind of like when my wife and I were playing Crash Bandicoot. I mean, there's just a, a number of areas in that game where it just drives you absolutely insane. Well, that's built for platforming. It is, yeah. And there and there's areas that are just like completely ridiculous. Like you just don't. You're like, I'm done. Like I'm not going to play this anymore. And of course, you pick it up later on because you're like, oh, I have to keep playing this because it's so good. Um, yeah, I, I understand. Same boat as you uh, yeah. with platformers like that. Uh, anything else? No, that's that's it for this week. So you proposed a discussion topic and you sent me a video for uh, the day before the gameplay footage that came out. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of talk about, so like this is ultimate vaporware stuff, kind of like not as bad as abandoned. Like at least we saw something from this, but I didn't know how bad this was. When I first saw the gameplay, I was like, oh, I mean, there's like, a character and a world and a menu and oh look at all these items in this like gun modding menu and then i watched somebody who plays like garbage steam asset flips and they were like i've seen this exact ui in other games so it's as impressive as that was for me as a person who knows nothing about game design that's just something they purchased and put in this so like this is really in that person's opinion all slapdash together in the last couple of weeks just so that they had something to show so that it didn't seem like a huge scam yeah but like i guess the big unknown here is that there is either you know funding or something that we don't know about but like as far as i can tell it's just wishlisted on steam a bunch there's not like a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter, like there's nobody getting scammed out of money for this that we're aware of. So like, why are these people trying to promote so hard a fake game that doesn't exist? Or, you know, is this just a really crappy asset flip that they are really trying to push this advanced narrative of by creating like a really hype sizzle reel and then hopefully getting people to buy in? But like, it just... This wasn't a, a trailer that anybody would willingly want to show. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't good. It didn't demonstrate anything like worth demonstrating. It was just kind of bland and blah. Well, I'll tell you, it was a sizzle trailer for like the good first 30 seconds of it. Um, <laughs> that but. Jeez, man. Like, I, I was like, when you sent it to me and I'm watching this video, I'm like, why is there like five minutes of yoga pants? Yeah. Like, that's basically what I was watching. And, uh, yeah, it was like, it, it's not very good. It felt like Last of Us, you know, like a cheap version of Last yeah. of Us when they went in to like build the stuff. And then the music that slapped in there was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then the actual zombie combat was just kind of trashy. It was just like four zombies on screen not doing you know, anything. It, it looked to me like a game that I would have interest in if it had more going on. And, and it felt like kind of like a tech demo. It felt where, like a concept art yeah like like let's look at what this could be like if it was had thought in it yeah it's almost like if you were developing a game and you were waiting for one of your one of your other developers to throw in the enemies and yeah. so the whole idea is you're just kind of traversing through and showcasing like oh here's a type of world and here's graphics and here's some of these certain elements and the characters crouching and all these other things and like that completely felt normal. Like, okay, cool. Like if that's what they were going for, great. But it had like this whole thing. It was like at the end, uh, the day before coming out, November, 2023. I'm like this, if this is what's coming out in November, 2023, I don't want it. Well, and didn't they have to not show this footage last week because the copy for the name wasn't owned. So they've I don't know. rectified that in a week now. Now they can just put that name out there, but they couldn't before. Like that's, it's all super suspicious. And I just think that like, there's a lot of people out there that are really buying the hype on this for no reason. Like there's no reason for this to be the most wishlisted game on Steam. Well, I mean, unless you have bots that are going in and wishlisting it. Yeah, right? I guess. I mean, but it doesn't make them any money. I guess it's just like... Well, if you wishlist it, you get hype off of the game being wishlisted. And then that, in turn, brings in like actual people to wishlist it as well. And so when a game... Like, you, you falsely hype up a game. And so when it comes out, you bring in all this money. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, you paid for it. 
You know, yeah. you've been hyped up for it. We're going to get all his day one sales. And then, yeah, we're going to get review bombs. But guess what? Haha, ha, we have all the funds that are yeah. coming already. So I can see why it would be the most wishlisted because if it is a fake game or well, not mean, necessarily Steam, even a fake you game. You can return it if you play it for less than two hours. That's true. So yeah. People could find out really quick. Yeah, that's true. They could. That is but a good it, point. You're still going to capture some. You're still going to capture some. Or you're going to capture some people that are going to pick it up and are they're maybe going to play 20, 30 minutes and be like, oh, yeah, I'll get back to this. And they set it down. I mean, all you really need is $30 and like 10,000 people to buy it. Like, it's all you really need. Yeah. And if it's just like this slap together, like fake game, you're going to get whatever amount. However, point said, you know, if enough people go in and say this is fake and then Steam comes in and looks it over and says, yep, that's fake. We're refunding well, everyone the money monitor like no, they, they, flip garbage they, yeah no I, I i get that but if you have enough of an uproar we've seen how things like this can occur where steam may just very well refund all purchases of this game they don't necessarily need to moderate they just need or moderate they just need to have a number of people come through file complaints have something i, mean, come I don't know publicly. if there's like any precedent for that but if there is then yeah i mean didn't they have this issue with a, a game not too long ago i don't know i didn't see i don't pay attention to anything on steam you're sworn. the computer guy now, John. I am the computer guy now, right? No, I've only been playing Factorio. And actually, I haven't even played this week. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I've been waiting for that footage to like drop. And then when it dropped, I was like, oh, that's what this is? And then I spent like the next day waiting for like all my people that I listen to to come out and talk shit about it. Because I was like, come on, people. I want to hear you talk shit about this. Yeah, the YouTube comments were fantastic. I mean, it's all about the first 20 seconds of footage. It's all about, um, you know, how it, it, this is the most boring apocalypse I've ever seen. Like, yeah. oh, man, I could survive this apocalypse. Like, it's definitely <laughs> a cakewalk. So, yeah, it's... If That's it is, what we need, an easy post-apocalypse. Yeah. Just like one you can casually get through. Flip-flops, optional. Yeah. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it's supposed to look super casual. Flip-flops, walk in any mart you want, grab whatever food you no want. No shoes, no shirt, no zombies. No zombies, none of that. And then all of a sudden it just ramps up difficulty from 1 to 10 <laughs> like instantly. And you're like, what Kirby the hell? Kirby Dark Souls. Yeah. yeah. Through one loading screen. Oh, man. Well, we'll see what happens to this game. I'm definitely interested to kind of follow it and uh, you know see when it does get released. And if there, we'll probably see an article about this in November, like something's going to happen. Kind of like that other developer that we were following. The abandoned. Uh, yeah. The abandoned one. We're like, I don't even know if anything, maybe oh, that's man, what that's this still is. Kojima. Maybe that's what this is. It's uh, it's abandoned, but a different slap together piece of software. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, okay. So our articles for the week, I should have been scrolling on our little list here. Uh, so the first one that we're going to talk about is going to be uh, Xbox, Nintendo, and Sony won't be a part of E3 reportedly in 2023. Uh, the live service gaming bubble and uh, it being ready to burst. And then uh, we there's this topic's been around for a bunch of YouTubers. It's the problem with retro gaming in 2023. You know, I don't want to go too deep into it and like copy the same type of content that they're talking about, but just more or less kind of cover it. Maybe have a general discussion yeah. on this uh, versus like talking about our thoughts on what the problem with retro gaming 2023 is. Although I'm sure it'll get to that. And, uh, and then we'll talk about One Piece Burning Blood. Uh, so the first one here is uh, by, it looks like, dude, I need to get better glasses. It's Kat Bailey. <laughs> Kat Bailey, but she put in two Bs on there, didn't she? Sorry. Yeah, you did. I was going to say Bailey. Uh, and this is at IGN. And so, you know, when I think about E3, you know, from a gaming perspective, yes. Xbox, Nintendo, Sony, like that's always been what you're anticipating like when you think e3 it's like oh i can't wait to see what comes up yeah. with those big three companies and what they're going to be pushing out and maybe i'll watch some of the ubisoft showcase <laughs> yeah yes yeah. so, and then you have the other companies that'll kind of put it or developers really that'll put in their own stuff let's see how cringy the just dance performance is this year <laughs> yeah but like nintendo wasn't part of it for the last few years well so right? nintendo's been doing their direct yep but they've been present on the show floor okay. so they've had booths with millions of dollars put into elaborate displays showcasing games for you to demo. Like, there's a big difference between having the showcase and being present on the floor. And then Sony hasn't really been there either. They've um, been completely gone for at least four years now. And in I think Last of Us Part Two 
trailer showing was the last time they were there. And Microsoft, of course, has taken advantage of it, but they would be now the most recent person to just kind of leave altogether as well. So They've got their own theater like right next door, and they're going to let anybody with E3 passes in. <laughs> so basically, what I'm kind of getting from this... Or maybe this, just the press. I don't know. Yeah, what I'm kind of getting from this whole deal is... These companies have found that an in-person event of this nature is not worth putting the dollars into. And so in their mind, based on what happened through, and I mean, we've kind of talked about this, right? Everything that happened with the pandemic and how they were showcasing their games and their hardware and everything else on a virtual basis to us via YouTube and other forms of media. And like, you know, in Nintendo's case, the directs, the Let's Plays, all of that good stuff. Um that type of stuff has been handed to us and it clearly hasn't been detrimental to their business uh, in 2022 and 2023. So it only makes sense that they would look at this and say, you know what, we don't need E3. We can just kind of go forward without and people are still going to continue to consume our content because gamers are going to want to consume gaming content. They don't need this particular show. And then you also have Tokyo Game Show Expo. You've got um, the Game Awards. Uh, you've got the what the Summer Games thing as well. Summer Game Fest. Well, yeah, so Summer Games Fest. So Summer like Game Fest and the Game Awards. Those are just showcases. E three is a lot more like packs yeah. where you've got like demos and handshakes and deals and developers meeting each other for things. And those things can still occur without being present at the show. Well, so it just, it brings everybody together in one place at one time with that mindset. Like, that's why it was, like, originally, like, a trade show not open to the public, but then it kind of switched. But anyways, like, the the people putting it on are the people who put on packs now. They've taken over, and, like, the reports that they're saying are that they don't even really know what to do with it that much at this point and it could a lot be because there isn't so much presence now that none of the big three are there like it could just be too disparate like you need at least something big to hold it up because like if you watch any presentation and it's like oh that was a letdown or that was great usually it's writing on the back of one or two really hype announcements and then you're kind of there for like all the c-level announcements but like imagine a whole show with no A announcements. So let me paint the picture for you in 2023. You have Atari and Sega <laughs> come out with their newest consoles and leading the charge on E3 for all of us. And then out of the woodwork comes Apple to show their new device. And then that's our, our new gaming big three. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it would be interesting, though, to see like Sega kind of go up on stage. It would be interesting to see Atari kind of come up and do their thing. Magnavox, I think, uh, or no, Commodore. I think Commodore has something new as well now. So I'm correct. What I think would be Evercade would be another one. See, the, the thing is, those are those are whatever. Like those are you're thinking like hardware companies. What I think that would be better for this, and I know it's kind of rare now and becoming more rare, but like I think E3 would be a great home for like good double A studios. Like you've got lots of events for indie devs. All the big three put on their own events because they've got enough money to. But like E3 would be a great showcase for independent studios that are making third-party games that are between indie and like whatever the quadruple A titles of the next console are going to be basically. Like there needs to be a world where we can still have studios of like less than 100 people but more than two guys in a basement putting out $40 games and have a home where they can like get people excited for them but those all get bought up by the giant studios like we've seen now so it's hard for them to have a really you know justification or it's hard for those types of people to all get together and make something cohesive because outside of the big three you don't have a company that has enough things to demand your attention for more than a two-minute trailer that should just be released on its own. I can honestly see E3 turning, like, as someone that works in a very similar industry, not necessarily uh, video games, but in the marketing aspect and deals with trade shows pretty frequently, I can see this turning into a, like, smaller-style event where business deals are happening on the back end, you don't have to have these big millions and millions of dollar booths between like Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, and all these other um, publishers, right? 
and the general public is sparse. It's not super heavy, and it's just a smaller niche event. I know E3 is much more than like just video games, so you know, obviously, it's going to stay afloat for a while. Um, so it'll, it'll really be interesting to see how things kind of progress from here as the video game component gets removed from E3. And maybe it's just a matter of like E3 continues to live, but we as gamers don't really notice it as much uh, because there's just no interest from us to watch E3 specifically, which is why we're seeing things like the Summer Games Fest and the Game Awards take such a larger presence now of all of these like trailers and crap, because that's what we honestly want to see is gameplay and trailers. And uh, we don't necessarily, from a consumer standpoint, need to see all the hardware. And those shows like that they're doing, Microsoft and Sony and all, they're all at other trade shows anyways. That's why you have TGX and PAX and all these other places that are occurring. And it's not even like there's probably smaller shows than those three that are occurring on a national, like on a, on a global basis. And during the course of a year that we just pay no attention to because why? You know, those are not the only three like industry focused yeah. events. Uh, it's just the three that we know of and that a majority of gamers know of as well. So we'll see how it pans out. But I, I think honestly, E3 will continue, but it'll it'll be dead from a gaming perspective. Well, and the way that some companies like Square's done good with the last couple of games that they did, like Triangle Strategy and stuff like that, where they release like demos and take feedback make those games a little bit better or you know Microsoft just shadow dropped hi-fi rush at their last perform or their last showcase like it would definitely be interesting I think to have e3 or other showcases where you know interactivity with the audience that isn't present is a higher priority like you know let's see more demos come out let's see more this game's available now out of these showcases because if it doesn't necessarily have to be just that one time a year that you're showing it. It gives you that flexibility to maybe give things some more time or show them off when they're ready to go instead of showing them off in June, five months before a title that's going to be an okay game, but not, you know, the bestseller. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Well, we'll see what happens. Yep. We'll, we'll find out more after June and find out more in 2024, I guess. All right. So the next thing here that I found earlier was uh, the live service game bubble looks ready to burst. And this is Mark Delaney at GameSpot um, brought this one into, uh, into the fray. And really what it's kind of covering is, um, you know, the big issue of games like Knockout City, uh, you know, just their servers are shutting down, right? You have other games like Fortnite that are still up and running, going crazy. Rocket League is still going up and crazy. But you have these other live service games that just, like Anthem, they just cannot get a grip on the on the gamer consumer base, and they just end up folding. And by default, some of these studios, that they're small enough, fold as well. And, you know, my, my opinion kind of looking at this, because, you know, having played Apex and other live service games and playing a little bit of Genshin Impact and, you know, like we had, uh, uh, you know, the voice actor for Genshin Impact on there is on here as well in, a, in an interview with him. And it, there's just so many live service games that are out there. And when you kind of consider you're trying to really attract consumers from a, a limited pool, really. I mean, there's a lot of gamers out there, but the pool is still limited. And each game has its own things that make it special, right? And make it attractive for gamers. And so you're having to compete with things like Rocket League, with uh, Warzone, Apex, um, with Fortnite, all these other live service games. And trying to unleash your own live service game, it's difficult already as is. And so I'm honestly... When it comes to like saying a bubble, a bubble in my opinion is a little severe. I don't see it as a bubble as more so than I just kind of seeing it as studios are going to stop developing live service games and you're going to have like your big ones that kind of remain. And as those dissipate potentially over time, something else may come into the fray, but you're only going to have like 10 like big, big name live service games and the other ones, you know, unless the studios can continue to support it and get like a small enough consumer base to support it or really a fall followership, I guess you could say, we're not going to see as many coming out in the future. I think it's, it's going to be like a, a dead concept over time for smaller studios to dive in. And you'll see more things like EA and people like back it with more funds, continue these live service games, but not necessarily on like the double A 
developers. Yeah, it was like, it was just a trend that was always kind of going to wind up the way like the WoW trend did. Like, you've got your really big installed games that have like, you know, people that support them and that's their game. And you're trying to get in against that. And their friends are already playing those games. So you have to get not only them, but you've got to get their friends over. Because their friends don't come over, then those new people aren't really going to stay around that long unless they make friends. And that's only going to be a small portion of your player base. And then when you see how many games come out and you're like, oh, well, you know, I bought skins for my main character in, uh, you know, League of Legends. Uh you know, I bought skins for this new character in this other game that came out. And maybe like a third one. But once one of those games closes down and you're like, oh, I don't get any of that stuff. Like eventually you're going to see, oh, well, if I'm just going to try this game out for a little bit and maybe not stick with it, maybe I'm just not going to invest any money. So the more you see these games start to close out. The more in the future, when people test those games, like they might see the writing on the wall. This isn't going to last. I'm just going to dip my toes in. And I feel like a lot of what used to keep people compelled to play games was unlocking rewards, getting skins, like those little comfort things that make you feel like the game is more yours. Well, now that all of that is paywalled, you're not getting any reward unless you buy in. So you've got to... You know, you got to give the player something like either the gameplay has to be so compelling that they'll play and they don't care about the skins at all, which you're not making money or they're worried the game's not going to stick around so they don't invest money and you're not making money. But either way, this trend's already gone. If you're trying to make a new game right now, that's going to be this trend. It's going to come out in four years. It's already going to be so long in the past. And people are going to still just stick with the one game that they have time for because they can't play this game and that game two hours a day every other day to keep up. Yeah. And then the competitive aspect of it, too. Like if you have a competitive base like you do with uh, Apex and uh, with Fortnite and Warzone, like you have competitive gamers and they're not just going to go ahead and split their time to say, oh, well, I'm going to play both now or I'm mm-hmm. going to play all three of these games. Like they have their one diehard thing that they play for quite a while and maybe they do move on to another game and they stay competitive in that because it, it's worthwhile for them to do so. And they have the better mechanics, which means your new game has to have better shooting than the best shooter on the market in yeah. order to keep those people. Now, what I can see happening, and we've talked about this, is in-game advertising to keep some of these live service games afloat. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean advertising within the gameplay itself, but maybe it's as simple as, oh, you want this new skin? Watch this 30-second clip brought to you by X. And tons of people, oh, I want that skin. Yeah, sure. I'm going to watch a 30-second clip by this advertiser. That's a lot of impressions. A lot of people are forced to watch that video. And even if you take a small chunk of those people who watched it and they become buyers, that's pretty significant. And that's good ad dollars for some of these smaller studios that may fold up. But if they're putting in ads and you're getting free stuff to watch a 30-second ad, you're going to have enough people that are going to do it. As much as we hate that that concept, it's one of the things that will keep some of these studios afloat is additional ad revenue in addition to um, what they're already getting from existing skins, battle passes, weapon modifications, whatever they can do. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see how this kind of pans out. But we've talked about advertising. We've talked about games like this and, you know, the loot crates and other things that kind of come from it. And uh, I, I can see where the trend is dying, but I can also see where it could stay afloat for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, like, nobody really talks about WoW too much unless, you know, a big new expansion is coming out. This will be the same thing, you know. People won't really talk about Destiny unless a a big new expansion is coming out. You know, it's going to be the same way as we go into the future. Like, they'll keep making them, and the same pillar ones will keep going probably. But we'll probably see a big slowdown. I mean, from the reports we were hearing, like, Ubisoft was working on 10 different live service games and canceled like almost all of them because like the amount of money, if you make the next Fortnite, it'll pay for 10 developments 
of games that never finished. Yeah. Because it just is that big of a golden ticket. So it's it's obvious why the money people wanted to do it, but like that's not enough to make a good game. Yeah, and spreading themselves so thin. I mean, you got to imagine they did plenty of playtesting as well with some of those in the development, at, like while they were still in development. And that's why they got canceled or shut down or whatever was occurring with them. Because, oh, well, okay, there's literally zero interest from the yeah. people that have playtested this. So let's shutter this and move on to the next thing. Um, okay, so the next topic here is the problem with retro gaming in 2023. Uh, this was RGT85. Uh, was a video that, that I watched. Um, but there's other people that kind of talk about this as well. So, you know, the idea of, you know, retro game collecting and, and in my opinion and, and what I've kind of read and what I've looked at over the last few years is you have like two groups. You have people that are really interested in collecting from like a nostalgia standpoint and they just want to play their older games. Like, okay, I want to play Super Mario. I want to play, um, Mario Kart. I want to dive into a few of these like Lion King and Donkey Kong games that I played on Super Nintendo when I was a kid. And that's kind of it. And then maybe if I expand beyond that, that's great. And then you have your elitist collectors that will tell you, oh, well, uh, this is how you collect. And this is exactly how you're supposed to play these games and why you should be collecting. Don't use oven cleaner on them. Yeah, on right. The like like that, right? Like, you know, it, neglecting the fact I've restored tons and tons of games um, that have literally been, like, destroyed. Um you know, but but you do have collectors like that, and I swear, if I were to post that I used oven cleaner on a Facebook page, I would get completely demolished from people saying, "No, you need to use rubbing alcohol." Rubbing alcohol is not taking off years of rust. Yeah, it's just not happening. Like if I'm going to use rubbing alcohol, I'm going to sit there for hours. And in fact, having on the back of a cart, it tells you not to use rubbing alcohol. So, haha, like you're not supposed to use abrasives on pins because they have like a bit of a um like Material. coating on it. There's like a coating that goes in there and you can remove the coating when you do that and it exposes the pins. But you know, I mean, long story short, I can actually go through and put additional uh, solder and um, there's a way to actually coat it back mm -hmm. and, uh, and kind of help protect it for a number of years. And as long as you're gentle with the carts, it's not a big deal. But yeah, I mean, I, dude, I'm in so many retro gaming pages on Facebook and in so many different like pools that I just kind of look into on like that and Twitter and other areas that I can kind of see like that elitist vibe that's come up over the last few years. And some of it's from people that like haven't even been collecting long. Like you have many of us who've been collecting for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years have been collecting video games. And then you have folks that have been collecting for like two years or six months and they just want to like shit all over you or get pissy and just come off as like, Oh, well I just bought like, all of these different games and here's why I'm such a cool collector. And like, here's my retro gaming room and like just showing off every single aspect of it. Whereas I, I just like collecting games. You, you know, it's like a I, fun way to share, but for other people, it's a way to like Lord your status. Yeah. And like in the, in the video, he was specifically citing like a situation where he saw like a post of a dad with his kids playing some like old Sega games and it's like, oh, teaching them the classics. And it's like, oh yeah, way to go, dude. Showing your kids like the good old days. And then like in the comments, he said that there were like two, the two top comments were like, oh, what are you doing playing on a Retron or whatever? Yeah. That's not original hardware. And then the other dude was like, oh, you're not using a CRT. And it's like, in, the sentiment was like, instead of just like being like, good job showing your kid these old games and him actually liking it. Like, that's fun. That's the vibe we're all really here for. Yeah. you got to be like an elitist gatekeeper that says you're doing it wrong. Like, people collect different ways. People play different ways. Like, the lesson is just don't gatekeep. Like, let people enjoy things the way they want to enjoy. If John screws up a game and the pin's all messed up, well, he's not going to sell that. No, then like that's gonna sold. be it on him yeah and that... you can give people advice but like anymore people don't want to give like good advice or talk to you like a person they just want to shit on you behind like a twitter egg so this was an interesting one i was on a thread and this guy was selling like he has his whole big n64 collection right and he's like oh yeah i'm starting a family and we're buying a house 
and I'm selling my N64 collection. It's worth about $850. I need help with the down payment or help with whatever thing. And I'm, yeah, right. You're already like, you know where I'm going with this. And he's like, but I'll take 750. And I'm like, so I looked at all the comments. Oh yeah. PM me. I'm interested. PM me. I'm interested like this. And my feedback to him was like, dude, there's no point in selling your game because first off, $750 is not going to make a major impact on the close of a home. And on top of that, the market we're in, you're going to get plenty of concessions that you can offset what it would be for your down payment. So there's really no need to sell your retro game collection. And you're just going to like, you're going to regret it two years from now. If you're starting a family and, or at least five years from now, and you have your kids and you want them to enjoy these games. Now, whatever the price of those retro games are, you're gonna have to go back and buy those now. And you're just going to regret it at the end of the day. And you, you and I obviously know housing market stuff and that's just a, a bad decision. If that's your mentality, like I need to sell my collection. I'm just to put down a down short. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're seven fifty short on a down payment, you shouldn't have gotten pre-approved. Yeah. There's <laughs> other ways that you can kind of manage that and, and like look into more advice. And, and that's really, and it's kind of upsetting because there's only two comments. There's, easily a hundred comments. And as I was filtering through, it was me and one other person had the same exact mindset. Like, don't do it. There's no point in doing it from a housing standpoint. And then a couple other people like, no, don't do it. Cause you'll regret it down the road. But it wasn't the, the housing aspect. Like that's clear advice. Like think about this before you actually make this like gut decision on just like selling your collection all of a sudden. Um, and then with me, like, you know, I like sharing pictures on our Instagram, like of pickups and all that. I try to not put in like the price point whenever I can. I did recently for like those broken games. Well, we talk about prices too. Yeah. And it's like, it's when you're talking about retro prices, usually you're bragging about getting a good deal. Nobody's out there being like, Oh man, I paid 20% markup for this. Yeah. And like my good deals, like 60 bucks on those broken games is a fantastic oh, deal. Oh, hell yeah. However, they were broken. Like, it's list is broken. And the amount of time, like, it takes me probably about 45 minutes to an hour to clean one of those. So if you value your time, that's not worth it from that aspect. But by cleaning those up, making sure they work, getting them in the type of shape that they need to be for somebody else to enjoy them, like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna sell it at market value, whatever I can get out of it, because that's... I've put in a lot of time to restore those games. Yeah. So it's and just, you're not going to get top dollar for them. No, either. you're I'm not. doing all this knowing that you're going to get just what you can. Yeah. But I'm going to get more than what you put in, but they're being restored and they're going to be put back into the market. So other gamers can enjoy it. I mean, these are games that are sitting in a, a flipping storage bin basically, and we're never going to see the light of the day again. In fact, we're probably going to get thrown out and now they're going to be put back into circulation for people yeah. to enjoy. So, um, yeah, it's it's very very interesting like the entire retro gaming concept. One thing I did find interesting too was the talk of DK Oldies. I don't I don't know if you've seen that recently on retro, but um so yeah, DK Oldies like their markup for video games, how they're like them and Wada have absolutely like destroyed the retro gaming market for 2023 and even 2022 in that you have all these people who initially would see like Super Mario and they're like, oh, yeah, my Super Mario, it's worth like 20 bucks for this copy. But then they see like DK Oldies marking it up to like $40. And they see WADA like a million dollars for a sealed copy. Yeah. And now you've got all these people like we as collectors knew, um, you know, the, the value of a game, right? We knew Mario on the NES, like not Mario Bros, but Super Mario Bros. Oh, $10 cart. And, oh, I want it? Okay, five bucks. Like, I'm not going to spend more than $10 on this, basically. Whereas DK Oldies and WADA have, like, gotten it to the point where now collectors, as they're looking for these games, are running up the price like crazy because, oh, well, DK Oldies is selling it for 30 bucks, so I should sell it for, like, $20 or yeah. 25 And now you've got all these games that weren't worth anything that are now, sh you know, shooting up in price just to shoot up in price. And uh, one of the things that I think it was the same... YouTuber, he went and he talked about how DK Oldies pays like mad amounts of money. Like he got a very, very fair offer for his retro collection or some games that he was selling. But like he looked at, it was like a Sega Saturn game, like a loose copy sells for $30 and DK Oldies is selling it for like $120 for the same game, loose disc. Dang. And you can buy a complete in box copy for like a hundred right now. So 
it, retro gaming, uh, it's obviously not going down anytime soon. It's not going to be disappearing anytime soon. If, yeah, it's if not a cheap hobby. If there's, yeah, if there's a bubble, the bubble is going to be like it pops and it stays flat and then it'll kind of pick back up again. I can't see anything going down in price anytime soon. And when you have things like WADA, DK Oldies, Elitist Collectors, people that are diving in just to play old games that they miss playing, it's going to kind of stay as is. You know, if you do want to get into retro collecting, I do have a really good suggestion, though. Uh, if you go into our backlog, we have ah. a bunch of, uh, you know, starter kit showdowns that you can listen to where you can find out, you know, a console and games, all this for less than $150 or $200, <laughs> depending on what it is. Now, nowadays, it's probably gone higher than that because when we recorded yeah, some of them. Yeah, some but, of those have probably gone up a bit, but... But, uh, yeah, the collecting on a budget's always fun. So, yeah, that's one way to look at it, too, is if you're looking into retro collecting and you're listening to this and you've never done it before and you've gotten this far into the episode... Um, yeah, like think about budget type games that are going to give you a very great experience and you're going to enjoy with your kids and it doesn't have to be Mario. It doesn't have to be Sonic, even though Sonic's actually fairly cheap. It doesn't have to be Final Fantasy. There's other RPGs out there you can play. There's other platformers that are going to give you such a fantastic experience and you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. Yeah. Yeah. So go check out those episodes. All right. Let's get into some one piece burning blood and Ryan, your damn typos. I'm not even, I'm just going to read this through. And if I'm wrong, I blame Ryan. Oh, in I thought I hit a, there uh, was supposed to be an exclamation point. So it is developed by Spike Chunsoft. I'm saying that with hesitation, knowing Ryan. Chunsoft. Okay. Chunsoft. Uh, it's published by Bandai Namco Entertainment and is directed by Hiroyuki Kaneko. And it was released in May of 2016. It is a fighting game. Reception is somewhere around a 6 out of 10 on this. I buy it. What's that? I buy it. You buy it? 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10? Okay. Uh, General plot is, it's really a fighting game, but it kind of has this The plot is one piece. But it's, yeah, but it's got a story mode that kind of starts at the Paramount War where um, if you have not been watching One Piece, uh, sorry for spoilers, uh, but it's pretty much the entire process of uh, Luffy leaving Impel Down, going to Marineford to save Ace from execution, and we're kind of like in that whole phase, like literally like directly tied to the anime. It's like a lot of things that are yeah, it's Essentially the battle the between Whitebeard and the generals on the frozen lake inside Marine Ford. It's kind of got like a cool map where you go from battle to battle, but it's like shows an overview depiction of like the Marine Ford area, and it's kind of adding extra elements after each battle. I kind of like that as a reference to like in the manga, Oda always draws like a map. Yeah. Of the area. And he's like, Team A is over here. Team B is over here. Kind of the same exact concept. And you have like extra fights. So you could start with Luffy's story, but then you go off to like another fight that's happening and another fight. And it breaks out for you to like experience different extra fights that are separate from the main uh, story that you're going through, which is in this case Luffy's. Um, So fighting game. Yeah. 3D fighting game. And it's like. And a very open environment, like arena style. So it's yeah, not like, like face to face. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z games. Not like um, I don't know. It doesn't really have that. Like you're always fixed, like locked on to your opponent or anything. But I feel like most of the attacks, like at least, kind of track a little bit. It's kind of like you've got some long range specials and some melee. Everything's just kind of button and direction. Or two button, it's not like quarter circles or like combos or anything like that remotely. It's just kind of like you've got special moves, basic attack chains, your special moves have kind of like maybe a two or three hit like combo, but it's just all of like an animated sequence that you and the opponent get locked into. It's not like actually doing a combo. Yeah. Uh, It's got like a basic go Super Saiyan mode button. With yeah. like a super attached to it. Which you go like second gear and then third gear of Luffy in this instance and in that particular piece. But obviously it's two years ago Luffy, which means there's... We only got to play Luffy too, really. Because yeah. there wasn't... You have to go through like the whole opening chapter to even unlock versus well, you, mode. You got to play with uh, what's, what's his... Or what's I her can't name? I remember, yeah. You know what I'm talking just about. Just for that one battle. But then we were like, well, let's just do the main thing to try to get to the versus. But there was a lot of different characters. So we saw... Like all three of the major generals or the admirals, I yeah. think that it could have just been 
because it was like a certain type of battle, but it could be a game where you've got multiple characters on a roster, like a tag battler. There was a ton actually. So it's a triple tag, triple tag. Oh, it battle. is a triple yeah, tag. It's battle. three okay. versus three. So like I actually, when you went to the bathroom, I was playing against a team that was, uh, uh, red hair shanks, um, teach or Blackbeard and do flamingo mm. is who I was fighting against, which is the most random combination when you think about it, but it was all three of them. Um, the list of characters that you could choose from is actually pretty extensive. Um, in fact, we had unlocked a character. It was, if you remember in the Paramount War, you had Mihawk, and uh, he got some assistance from one of Whitebeard's guys, um, who was also a swordsman, and started fighting that guy. That was actually a character we could have brought in, but I couldn't figure out how to actually yeah. bring them into the battle. Um, so there's a ton of, ton of characters. Um, just even looking at some of the previews, you've got Trafalgar Law, you've got uh, Captain Kidd, you've obviously got the Admirals there, you've got Teach, you've got Doflamingo, you've got Red Hair Shanks, two versions of Luffy. Um, obviously Frankie is in there, Zoro's in there. So there's, there's tons and tons of characters. I don't know the extent of like what this game goes up to. Cause obviously if two year Luffy, which means it obviously encompasses a paramount war, but like how far does it go after that? Yeah. You know? So I would be interested to kind of continue playing and see like how far the story progresses and what yeah. characters we can unlock. Cause obviously law doesn't really come into play as like a major, major character until like right after the paramount war. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know, this just wasn't very compelling. Like, the fighting didn't feel good. Like, the dodge didn't feel responsive. Uh, it didn't feel like there was enough depth to really entertain, like, a big fighter. Like, I think it, you get pretty boring for somebody who is really big into fighting games. Like, it's kind of just like a, I don't know, low effort. Yeah, I guess the art was okay. Uh, it had kind of this cell shaded, but with some kind of like line work overlays that gave it kind of an interesting aspect. I assume that it probably does like the Dragon Ball Z fighting game thing where it just kind of follows the anime and you just kind of get to see all the major events and fight through them. Um, the one thing that I think would be kind of disappointing, especially from a One Piece game, is just how varied one piece characters are like it would be a really interesting fighting game to have you know chopper versus big mom yeah but like big mom would have to be like eight times the size of a normal character on screen and controllable and balanced and fair and i just think that some of those boundaries of one piece are kind of the same boundaries that are going to make it really hard to adapt for Netflix. Like yeah. it just does so well as an anime and a manga because it's so creative and free and has so much expression in just the size and shape and manifestation of its world and characters. Like you saw the giant oars in the background of the battle arena mm -hmm. and like his sword chopper cleaver, like sitting there in the middle of the arena, but to like, have a game where you could actually play as that character would be nuts. And it would just be kind of too much for the budget you would give to a game like this. Cause even though it's the biggest anime like ever, I just don't think that the anime fighting tie in games are ever enough to justify. Like what was the big crossover one that came out like a few years ago that uh, had like all the different animes jump force jump force. Yeah. Like that was probably I don't know. It looked like one of the most expensive anime fighting games I'd seen, and it had all these different characters, but that didn't make it good. I still need to grab that one just to play it. But So my experience felt a little different. I mean, I'm with you on the dodge aspect. The dodge felt a little clunky. Um, but I was getting to the point where I, like, I was hitting some combos, like six, seven attacks in a row. My issue was speeding up to the enemy. So if I knocked an enemy back with my gum gum bazooka, right, and they were all the way back, trying to get to them, I was having a hard time getting up to them and if i did and they were still on the ground like there was a couple instances where i did hit the enemy while they were on the ground but there weren't a lot where that happened and you i don't just, have like a low kick option yeah or I mean, like kind of was but i only hit one person yeah. when they were on the ground and it was like at random so like i even tried the the gatling facing down and like that didn't even damage somebody on the ground so i i get it like you normally don't want to do that especially if that's a mechanic like they're on the ground and then they're going to kind of come back up and fight like that is a typical one piece thing. Um, but 
it kind of sucks from a fighting game standpoint because like now I've lost this momentum of this combo because I've launched across the screen. Now I have to go chase them down and then attack them and it's not even going through my attacks. And then they're able to just kind of get up and quickly attack me. So now I've lost all this crazy momentum. Oh, they're yeah. kind of back in the fray. Like, I don't know. It just felt kind of odd. So and they blast you. Like sometimes you just start a match and they just blast you with a combo and take away like a 30 year health instantly. And you're like, okay, well now what? Or they cheese. Like there was one where like, I just kept getting hit with a beam of light from halfway across the map and I couldn't do anything. Like even if I dodged, like it didn't help. So yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, overall I would think this is a six out of 10 game for sure. Um, I think I paid 15 bucks for it when all is said and done uh, for a complete in box copy. So, you know, looking at the brass tacks, if you want to go over pricing. So complete in box, we're looking at 1802. That peaked at $34 back in December, 2016. It's currently holding pretty well. Loose copy will run you 1327. Peaked at 4242 in June, 2016. And that is holding as well. I would say that, you know, if you got it for 15 bucks complete in box, like now as a one piece aficionado, you know, eventually down the road, like having all the different one piece fighting games, like I, I kept saying, you know, we should check out the one piece grand battle for the GameCube because I bought that when I was a kid and mm -hmm. I remember liking it and it being kind of like fun and different as like a little arena fighter. But like, I'm sure that one piece has like a lot of variety in the fighting games that have probably been made for it. It probably has a lot of different approaches. So, you know, from that aspect, it could be worth investing and investigating and just trying to get more one piece because there's always a desire for more one piece. That's kind of why I got it was just the ability to just kind of sit back and play more one piece. Oh, you know, I left out some stuff. So this is actually still like a pretty current game. So adding to our brass tacks, we have, uh, digital consoles, it's still going for full price, $59.99. Uh, on PC, $49.99. And so, then, like, I'm trying to put in, like, an ad one. So, like, the first one that comes up when I Google it. Yeah. So, the first one that comes up was an eBay listing for $484. So, you could probably get this game for, like, almost nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and this is a PS4 version that we have the data for. I'm pretty sure the Xbox One version goes for far less, actually. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, that's just something to consider as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't I look mean, up the console price versions. Yeah, so, I mean, long story short on this, you know, yes, it's a 6 out of 10. Are you going to get some fun out of it? I think so. I think it's actually... Uh, at 15 bucks. it's certainly worth picking up if you're a big One Piece fan and you haven't checked this game out. Uh, you know, complete in box obviously being 1802 on average, I would say that it's a little inflated right now, um, based on, uh, prior, um, or really secondhand, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, 15 bucks where I'm at, I'd say it's inflated right now. Um, as we continue to see this game go down in price, I would hold my $15 and it would eventually become deflated. Uh, but as it currently stands, I'm thinking inflated. Huh? What? It's on Vita. I wonder if it's any good on Vita. Oh, probably not. Oh, uh, okay. So what's your what's your score overall? I mean, yeah, I would say it's worth In, it. Oh, so you say just worth like it's just yeah at eighteen dollars. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. You got it for fifteen. Yeah, uh, I guess it's a little inflated. Okay, there we go. Um, so really quick update for you on One Piece. I know you haven't really been reading it. I I have uh, been watching it in Japanese. And I am in the Wano arc still. And Wano arc is the best arc by far. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. If you have not watched One Piece or you're in the middle of watching One Piece, like the Wano arc is just great. And I'm excited to continue watching it with sub, even though I'm not a big sub fan. It's grown on me, the Japanese voice acting. Uh, so I'll continue to watch it. And dude, like I told you earlier, but animation is just so much better and it continues to get better and some of the battles like like you know about kaido and everything yeah i would imagine okay so like the kaido battle as that kicks off it's just like it's phenomenal you're just like sitting there in shock as to how good this is and obviously a lot of it is tied to the fact that you're looking at a 23 year old anime so over time it is going to be so much better um but the other part of it is just like how good it is and 
just some of those moments as you're watching and the music and the colors and everything that hits screen, you're just like in awe as to how good the story is and how good the animation is. And it's just all nicely tied together. So you together. think it's worth the 900 episodes it takes to get there? I mean, look, it took me, <laughs> what, I'm averaging about 200 episodes a month right now. Uh, yeah, but you're not human. N- you yeah, have a baby. Clearly, yeah. So, yeah, feeding time means two episodes of One Piece for the baby. And then when he's asleep, that means like one episode of One Piece. So I think it's worth it. I, I would take dive again. See, I hear people all the time that are like talking about one piece that are like, you know, I've, I've gone this far. You don't need to. No, dude, I, I look, I, I would advocate for it. If you have not watched one piece and you're like, Hey, you know what? I got some time in my hands. I am willing to go through a thousand episodes of an anime. Do it. Like, it's so worth it. Like, I, at first, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did this to myself. And now I'm just like, I'm so happy that I yeah. took the plunge and watched it all because it's just so good. And as sad as it sounds, when my kid's a little older, I'll do the same thing with Pokemon. I'll literally watch through all the Pokemon stuff with him if he's open to it. I mean, I don't think that's necessary, though. Like, I don't think all the Pokemon is worth watching. It's not, but I'm still going to watch it all. Just watch all of like the first three seasons. Nah, no. I'm I've gonna... seen all the movies up until like three years ago, I think. And those drop off hard. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one? I had my eyes on a couple other anime. I don't, dude, Hunter x Hunter is another one. I, I've heard good things. It's, you know? it's so many people's like, oh my God, this is the best. But I watched it and I just thought it was like, it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't like what everybody hyped it up to be. And there were definitely parts that I really was a little bit more lost on. Just, I don't know. Different things hit people different ways. Well, we will we'll see, you know, how this ends for me. I mean, I may get to the end of this arc and be like, oh, God, I can't believe I did that and just be over it. But no. I doubt it. Uh, okay. Next week. Whereas next week, uh, we're we've playing got Mystic Defender. Yes. We're playing Mystic Defender on the Sega Genesis. You had the same mindset because I pulled it up too. Uh, so uh, that is going to be pretty much um, an action run and gun style uh, platformer on the Sega Genesis that we'll be covering. And we did play it on a Retron. So before you get all angry, get high and mighty on us. Yeah. We, we played on a Retron because guess what? I don't want to hook up my Sega Genesis. Just don't need to. I got a Retron. <laughs> And it helps me play my games on an HD TV. That's that's how it is, you guys. I'm not playing on a CRT. It's too big, <laughs> too bulky. Like, just don't need it. Um, all right. Well, this has been episode 221 of a Game of Flavors podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs>